Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 65, live out to the internet in our new format on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, live on all of our social media channels. I'm live on Medical School Headquarters Instagram right now. We're live on mapped.tv, which is our mapped YouTube channel. We're live on premed.tv, which is our Medical School Headquarters YouTube channel. Everywhere that we can be, uh, we made a change because we wanted to answer more questions, uh, more of your questions, and we we thought that going out live to everyone would get more involvement, more questions to help everyone around. This used to be for MAPT members only, but we thought it was going to be better for them as well by going broader and saying hello to more students. So. Hello, Alicia from Oklahoma, Joan from Michigan. What's going on? Dr. Scott Wright, our VP of Academic Advising, former Director of Admissions at UT Southwestern, retired Executive Director of TMDSAS. How are you doing today? Doing well. Hello, everybody. It's good to, good to be here. I'm doing well and just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great day and anxious to answer lots of questions from students. Q&A is my favorite. I, I oh, could yeah. do Q&A all day, every day. And, and I get messages from some from friends who are in medical school and who have known me in this space for a long time. And they're like, don't you get tired answering the same questions over and over again? I'm like, no, because every time I answer the same question, I, I learn a little bit more. I give it a little bit more context. I tweak it a little bit. And, and that, that person hearing the answer, it may be the first time they're hearing that answer. And the way that I state it just resonates with them perfectly, and and I've yeah. I've touched someone. So, hopefully, hopefully, uh, I don't get tired of Q and A because I I love it. Rachel Grubbs, co-founder of Mapped MCAT Test Prep Extraordinaire. How are you doing, my friend? I'm excellent. This is always the favorite part of my week. Like you, I love Q and A, and I've also been in this business long enough to appreciate the way Q and A evolves. Yeah. Um, you know, the pre-med process, the pre-PA process, these are not static things. They change. So um, sometimes when students are asking again, it's because they've heard that there's a little bit of a difference or they've heard rumors, but those rumors are old things. So it's good to cover the same topics again to make sure you've got the latest and greatest information. And that's yeah. what we're here for. Yeah. The Absolutely. only thing that is constant is change. And so it's yep. good to get those same questions over and over again, uh, especially application cycle to application cycle to uh, to get the new updated information. It's something we try to pride ourselves in. Uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Wright, you were doing inside med admissions for a few sessions. We'll, we'll ramp that up here when the next application comes around, but getting updated information on potentially how COVID is going to affect the application cycle. Yep. Uh, we're probably going to have to do that again for next cycle because, hey, yep. guess what? COVID's still there here. Yep. Shocker. Um, and uh, we, we've had inside med admission sessions on letters of recommendations. And what was the other one? Interviews? Mm -hmm. No. Interviews? Something yeah. like that. I forget. Um, 
So lot, lots of awesome sessions. So yep. Yep. Um, go ahead and ask your questions. If you're watching on Instagram live, uh, go to mapped.tv or premed.tv and, and come find us and ask your question there in the YouTube chat because that's where we're going to be pulling questions from. So uh, that's, that's our job here. Um, before we get to questions, though, Dr. Wright, the, the time that we're in right now, it's, it's late August. And yep. I know there are still people out there who haven't submitted their primary application. They're either waiting for their MCAT score or they're just late to the game in general. For the student out there who's delaying clicking that submit button because they've heard, like, I, I've heard that applying early is better. It's late August. Is it worth applying now? Well, I think <clears throat> it's a good question, and I think uh, the answer is is complicated. Uh, I certainly think that um, the only uh, the only certainty in the admissions process for medical schools if you don't apply, you're not going to get in. So, uh, you know that that being said, um, I think it depends a little bit on uh, on you know, how strong you feel like your application is, uh, where you're applying, uh, could, um, could affect, uh, that, that, you know, what that answer might be. But, uh, you know, if, if you're applying, uh, this late in the cycle, um, now DO school is a little bit different because they, their cycle runs a little bit longer, uh, into the spring and, and they, they reserve some stuff into the spring to, to do, do some things. So I think for the, for the DO schools, I think it's, it's not too late. And I would, I would certainly recommend, uh, students that are considering DO schools, uh, that they could go ahead and do that. Uh, MD schools, I think it depends a little bit on, on where they're applying and, and, uh, how strong their application is. So, you know, I, I would say it is getting later. AMCAS is going to take a while to, uh, you know, they're, they're probably running four to six weeks right now. So, you know, if you apply, uh, let's say first of September, med schools aren't going to start getting those until mid October. Uh, so that's, that's pretty late in the cycle. So it's getting there. Yeah. 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 Re really the, at the end of the day, obviously it's the student's decision, apply, yep. not apply. Yep. And I always lean to it's time and money, uh, yep. first and foremost, and, and really, after that, it's the headache of new letters of recommendations and new essays yeah. and yep. showing growth from a rejection to, to a reapplication and, and needing to show that growth. And it, it can't just be, well, I applied earlier. That's how I grew. Right? Right. Medical schools are like, I want to see a little bit more. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. That's okay. right. Yep. All right. All right. Let's take some questions, questions from the audience. Yeah. So I was offered a COVID screener volunteer position. I would be taking the temperature of patients and guests, asking screening questions and explaining hospital rules. Is this clinical experience? This has been coming up a lot, obviously, yep. with COVID. We have this whole new job of being right. a COVID screener, especially yep. at hospitals, uh, where you get temperature check and have, have you or your family member <laughs> been exposed to someone with COVID? Have you been diagnosed with COVID? Do you have right. any fevers, chills, runny nose, et cetera, right? All, right. all that normal stuff. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting this question came up today because yesterday in the Facebook group, a student asked this question, 
And someone commented that said, I asked my advisor the same question and they said, no, it's not clinical. And I said, hmm, hmm. sounds clinical to me. Yeah, I agree. Sounds clinical to me. I mean, you're dealing with patients straight on one-on-one and, uh, you know, it may not, may not be the, the most extensive clinical experience and, and the funnest thing because you're asking the same questions over and over and over and over again. But yeah, I would, I would categorize it as clinical. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Right. Is it clinical? Survey says yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I still want to get that domain. I mean, it seems me too. Available. Is it clinical dot com? And then we'll make a game show out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, as All long right. as I can get one of those like long stick microphones that Bob yeah, Parker yeah, used yeah. to use yeah, on yeah, yeah. Prices Right. Yeah. That uh, that was Definitely. awesome. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, so what are the factors that go into acceptance after one is offered an interview? My, my phone that I have set up for Instagram is blocking my view. I can't see the question. Um, so the, the factors that go into an acceptance right after one is offered an interview. So let's, let's say, uh, Scott, that a student is offered an interview, right? For whatever. And, and and the caveat is always every school is different for how they invite people and then their process after, um, once a student is invited for an interview, they come for the interview and then they, what, what does that process look post interview look like? Yeah, it does. It does depend a little bit on the medical school, but I would say at that point, the interview is a huge part of the uh, consideration on, on whether they're going to make an offer to that student or not. Uh, for some medical schools, it's going to be hundred percent of the process. Uh, that interview uh, is going to, to, to say, does this student fit with our mission? Does this student fit with what we're looking for in terms of, uh, in terms of a variety of, of, uh, of aspects of, of what they might want to, want to consider, but all that's going to come from the interview. So I would, you know, other schools are still going to consider other things in, in the mix. Uh, but the admissions committee, uh, is going to sit down and they're going to make a consideration based on the entire application, including the interview at this point. But I would say at many medical schools, perhaps even most medical schools, uh, that the interview is going to be a really big part of that process and is really going to have a huge impact. So the factors uh, are, going to, are going to blossom into a variety of things, but interview is going to be, going to be a big part. Yeah. And then, and then post-interview, right? I, I've heard the gamut from post-interview, some programs, some admissions committees throw out everything pre-interview. They don't yep. look at stats again. They don't look at right. experiences again. Right. It's just interview. Do interview. we like the person? Do we not? Yep. And other schools go back and everything is in play yep. for post-interview right. review. Yep. So again, it just depends on the school. And, and we say that to, to not go, okay, now let me go do my research and figure out what schools do what. The, the, the truth is that you can't control the That's far right. majority of things that happen during this process, and you mm-hmm. shouldn't try to control them. You shouldn't try to play a game that says, okay, I'm only going to apply to the schools that, that post-interview only judge me based on my interview because I know that I'm a rock star in person. My stats are a little bit eh. And so I only want to apply to schools that are going to ignore everything post-interview. Yeah. And when you do that, what you're doing potentially is 
not applying to the schools where you may be an amazing fit and they don't care about your stats. You're good enough for their stats and you're going to crush your interview and they're going to love you and you're going to blossom there and you're going to you're going to just be a stellar student. You're going to graduate top of your class. You're going to get the, the residency of your dreams and go on and live the career of your dreams because it was the right program for you versus trying to play a game and finding a program that that you manipulate into working for you and then you're just not happy. Right. That's right. So that's what I got to say about that. And we are now the proud <laughs> owner of isitclinical.com. So <laughs> look at Ryan multitasking. <laughs> I can, I can chat and do it all at the same time. Does a pre-interview hold mean automatic R? So I'm assuming this person doesn't mean it automatically turns you into a pirate, right? <laughs> automatic, <Arr. Arr>. um, <laughs> automatic rejection. <laughs> Scott, you know, did, you, did you guys at UT Southwestern, did you do pre-interview holds? No, no, we didn't do that. And and so, I, you know, boy, I, I, I'm at a loss. I've had several students recently who have gone through this and gotten a notification that they're on hold yep. uh, pre-interview. And, you know, that is really one of those things where it comes down to what, what does that mean for the individual medical school? Yeah. You know, it, 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 my guess is that it means that it does not necessarily mean a, uh, an automatic rejection. Yeah. I think they're, they're holding to see what is the rest of the pool going to look like in the, as things yeah. continue to progress and as more applications come in, they may go back to those that they put on hold to see. Uh, what they want to pull out of there. So, so to answer the question, I do not think it means an automatic reject. Yeah. So, so Ra Rachel, have you ever been asked out and go, Rachel, Friday night, I would love to go out. Let's have dinner. And, and you're like, uh, yeah, let's, let's, I'll get back to you. Right. I'll get back to you. And then you call your friends and be like, Hey, what are we doing Friday night? Right. <laughs> Trying to find something better to do than the initial offer that came in. That's what I think a lot of these pre-interview holds are is we like you, but not a lot. And we're going to see if something better comes along. Right. And that's what you were saying, Scott, is let, let's see what yeah. the rest of the applicant pool looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for not making me answer that hypothetical question. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> uh, it's not the kindest thing, but it is practical. It is okay. very practical. Well, and yeah, you got to take care of yourself. Okay, so let's see. Our research and other science courses like astronomy and geology impact our science GPA. Would you recommend it for a boost in GPA? So here's, here's something you do. There's this awesome website. Take out a pen. Write it down. G-O-O-G-L-E. Right, go to Google. <laughs> type in AMCAS course classification guide. Go to ACOMIS course classification guide. Each application service classifies science GPA differently. So what may count as science on AMCAS may not count as science on a COMIS. Uh, and just those words, right? MD application for the far majority of MD schools, DO application for the far majority of DO schools. Texas is separate. And we'll, we'll ignore them because whatever. Oh, what? <laughs> um, right. And so inside of MAPT, right? If you haven't checked out MAPT yet, inside of MAPT, we have some algorithm stuff that when you're entering your courses, 
we try to predict, is it science, is it not science? You can overwrite it if you want, but we've pulled in a lot of that data from the application services to, to try to help students figure out, is it science, is it not science? So you can check out MAPT. Astronomy, geology, off the top of my head, I don't remember if they're science or not science. Um, it just, again, depends on, on the application service. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing you'll notice if you're a mapped member is rather than having to Google and hunt all down the AMCAS website, you can also just go to mapped resources and we've got the classification guides right there for you. We've already done the Google work. <laughs> so for mapped members, you get a shortcut. <laughs> all right. How would admission see a cumulative GPA of 3.5, science GPA of 3.11, rising trend throughout freshman year to junior year, but with a slight dip first semester senior year due to genetics with a C minus? Ouch. Hmm. So a little dip there. Trends are important. Yeah, they mm -hmm. are. They are genetics is a pretty uh, important class in medical school, um, particularly uh, these days. Everything is genetics. Um, uh, you know, even a lot of the pharmacology stuff these days is, is genetically based. Uh, so, you know, I, my concern here would be the the significantly lower science GPA than the cumulative GPA, mm -hmm. and I would wonder if that C, that one C minus is the t total culprit for the lower science GPA. So I don't know, you know, I, I, I think uh, admissions, admissions committees are going to view that with concern uh, that the, the cumulative GPA suggests that they're a good student, but the science GPA seems to say that their science, uh, you know, their, their, their abilities in the science classroom are not as good as their abilities overall in the classroom. Yeah. And Days does ask a follow-up question. She, he, they did a two-parter. So the second part is, do you think I should consider a post or master's before applying? Uh, I, would, I would say that's a very, uh, a very good suggestion. Uh, I would look at uh, post-bac classes or a, or, a, or a special master's program. You know, I think you want to really establish in your application that you can do the science work at a high level. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and that would be, uh, I, I would definitely consider that as, a, as an option. It's, it's really hard. And this is why I love maps because you can enter all of this information inside of maps and we can see trends, um, mm -hmm. of what that looks like. And we can, we can share, uh, what that looks like in, in mapped in a second, but it's, it's hard to know, right? This, the student saying 3.5 cumulative three, one, one science with a trend what does that trend look like? Was it just an atrocious freshman year? And then the last two years have been great at like a 4.0. Then maybe the C minus is less impactful as long mm -hmm. as they, all of the other grades look good. And, and, and it's just really hard with just this piece of detail without seeing trends and maps and everything else of what that looks like. And, and so let's say you need to take some more classes. Well, potentially without doing a post-bac or a master's, you just delay graduation and just take another semester worth of classes before you graduate. There, there are a few options pre-graduation that you can potentially mm -hmm. do. 
So go ahead, let's let's share that screen, Rachel, and and look at this is our mapped demo account. And you can see here this student didn't start off very well and had pretty atrocious 2.2-ish kind of numbers here. Um, and going going those last several semesters looks much, much, much better. So yeah, the, that's that's a good trend right there. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and you can see here that the, those oh. numbers don't look super sexy, right? Three three zero cumulative, three two four, but look at that that trend that gives a lot of confidence to an admissions committee yeah. member. And remember, the the schools see all of this information. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's see. If my research lab professor department of biochem is willing to write me a letter of recommendation, does that count as a science letter of recommendation or would a letter of recommendation from my physics professor be preferred? Yeah, I think the biochem professor is, is fine. I, I would say that would be a, a great letter. Uh, this comes up a lot of they weren't technically my professor, but I'm in their research lab. Their faculty, their science mm -hmm. faculty, does mm -hmm. that still count? Yeah. Yeah, I would say it counts. Right. I, I think I think at the end of the day, some critical thinking is needed when determining who to write a letter of recommendation. It's not just Johnny was in my class and they got an A. It's I am a scientist. I think like a scientist. Johnny thinks like a scientist. Here are all these other amazing qualities and traits about them. So just having them as a professor in a class is, is less important than, yes, they are science faculty and they can write you an amazing letter. Exactly. Exactamundo. How do med schools view multiple research publications? Do, do they think of you more of a PhD or MD applicant? from mantos <laughs> <laughs> i i don't think it you know I, I don't think they think about it in that way at all i think they they view they view you you're an md applicant uh or potentially an md phd applicant they're going to look at you know research publications as as a as a as a part of your application and potentially a, a good part of your application if you you know, if it really indicates that you've done well in the research labs and stuff, but it's not going to make them wonder, well, I wonder why he's not doing a PhD instead of an MD. I don't think it works that way. Yeah. There, there may be some potential issues that come up. If you have 3,000 hours of research experience and no clinical experience, correct. Like, uh, what's going on here? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. That, that might send a signal that you want a PhD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, do you not like patients? <laughs> <laughs> We want you to like patients. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, here's one that is a real bummer. I'm. I'm. I'm uh, I, I was I'm, just reading that one. I'm gonna I, put it up there because we got. I was talk hoping. About it. I was hoping. I shouted a chauvinistic surgeon, and he advised. Oh, sorry, I added that in myself. He advised that I should choose a specialty other than surgery because I'm a female and may want children. I felt discouraged after this conversation and would like your input. Yeah. So my first response is the audacity. Yes. Right? Like how, how dare he? 
right? Yeah. Uh, do male surgeons not also sometimes want children? Like, think about all the banked in assumptions he's making yeah. with that statement. Um, yeah, I'm sorry you felt discouraged, and that is BS. Yes, absolutely. Yep. I agree. I agree with that completely. Yep. There, there are plenty of people out on social media who are amazing women, amazing mothers, um, uh, amazing surgeons out yep. there practicing, doing, doing it all. And, and is it easy? No, it's not easy for anyone. Um, but it's it's uh, it's doable. And if that's what you want to do, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, although I don't know that I've heard of someone getting bad advice like this, who was a male, I have heard from other pre-meds who say, I'm feeling really torn because my partner and I want to start a family. And sometimes it's, it's someone who isn't going to be the one being pregnant. (laughs) Right. Um, So, so balancing kids and med school, balancing kids in the earlier years of your uh, doctor uh, physician career is, is going to be a challenge. But yeah, we've got a lot of friends on Instagram who are doing it and documenting it by, as a way of trying to share some hope. So I would definitely go seek some of them out. Absolutely. Yep. <sighs> yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> All right. How would admissions see a cumulative GPA of 398? Amazing. But a low MCAT of 500 with plenty of leadership, clinical, and volunteer experiences. Mm. We get this one a lot. People yeah. just can't figure out the MCAT, but are mm-hmm. stellar students in the classroom. Yeah. I, how would you deal with these types of students, Scott, at, at UT Southwestern back in the day? Yeah, this is uh, this is a tough one, and, and you know, this is the value of sometimes where TMDSAS um, asks for uh, SAT or ACT score, and we would look at that to say, is this a student who? just typically has difficulty with standardized tests. Um, we know that standardized te- that every, not everybody is, is great at standardized tests for whatever reason, but whether it's anxiety or, or whatever. Uh, and, you know, what this student clearly shows is that he can do it in the classroom at a very high level. And so th- this is, you know, this is a difficult uh, profile uh, for admissions committees to look at. But I would say uh, they're going to try to understand better about why, uh, you know, why this MCAT score is the way it is and, and understand uh, what that means about the applicant. You don't escape uh, standardized tests once you're finished with the MCAT. So there are others to come. Um I don't know that the MCAT really uh, predicts very well uh, the performance on USMLE, for example, or on uh, uh, other types of uh, board certification exams. But, you know, I do think that this is a difficult scenario for, for an admissions committee. But I would say, you know, Ali, I would really encourage you to move forward. Uh, you know, if this is your first MCAT attempt, I would say, you know, go for it again and, and really work on uh, the prep stuff. I mean, Rachel, you can kind of address this in terms of <clears throat> what uh, what your experience has been with somebody like this from the MCAT sort of side of things. But I would say, man, Ali, keep 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 going and don't don't let that discourage you. Uh, push forward. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So one of the reasons the MCAT is so challenging is that it tests study skills that we are not taught in college. 
Right. So one of the analogies I like to use, if you think about like water sports, is that taking a college course is a lot like scuba diving. You don't go very far, but you go very deep. Right. Where the MCAT is more like water skiing. Right. Like you're covering so much space, but it's very shallow. So, um, you know, a a lot of pre-meds are very, very good at learning out of books and very, very good at learning and remembering information. And the MCAT does expect that, but it expects it on a much longer term scale, right? So, you know, it, if you are taking three or four really hard courses and you're doing well all semester and then you cram the couple weeks before the test, you're golden. But with the MCAT, there's so many topics, you can't cram like that, right? You've got to figure out how to commit it to your long term memory and then get very good at recalling it to your working memory. Um, And I know we keep changing the way we think about memory. So sorry if I'm not using the latest correct psychological terms there. But, you know, you think about the way um, hardly any of us know phone numbers anymore. Right. But we older people often still know our childhood phone numbers (laughs) because like we dialed them so many times that even though like now it's just like Siri call mom, you know, or text mom, because who calls, right? Like, then, like, you still, for whatever reason, just have that series of digits locked in your brain. And that's the kind of thing you need to do with the MCAT content. And that's still only step one, because the real trick to the MCAT is the critical reading and the thinking and the thinking like the MCAT does. And often when someone has a score that's, you know, right there in the healthy middle, like a 500 is, it usually means there's a big deficiency in one or the others of those. So it might be that you're killer at critical thinking and critical reading, but struggling with content. In your case, because of your grades, I don't know you, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess it's the opposite, that you're killing the content, but you haven't wrapped your brain around the way the MCAT wants you to think. And there are test prep options out there that'll teach you, you know, if funds are limited, there's a lot of free or low cost resources. Um, We do partner with Blueprint. We think they're great. Um, So you can always look into their practice exams, their courses. Um, The MCAT podcast. Mm -hmm. The free podcast they do with Ryan. That's a great way to start. (laughs) Um, And, you know, you can I've heard from a lot of pre-meds who just listen to that when they're at the gym or on runs. Right. Because they're not even really studying. They're just trying to absorb the way MCAT teachers are telling you to think about the passages, right? It's just a mindset shift in a lot of ways. Um, so, so do you have to retake with a 500? No, you could try, but um, with those stellar grades, something's going really right in the way you study. So um, one thing I always think about is so many med students tell me, no matter what my study skills were in college, I had to learn to change them in med school. And often they have to learn to change them over and over. Um, so you, big nods from Ryan, who's been through med school. <laughs> um, so you might see this as an opportunity, right? I'm going to have to learn to change my study skills repeatedly. This is a chance to do it before med school. Um, I know that was a really long answer, but all of that is saying you can do it if you want to try again. I think you can make it work. You've just got to be ready to let go of some habits that work for you and find new habits. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> All right. Let's see. I was thinking of doing an SMP program. And for those of you who don't know, SMP, Special Master's Program. So a Special Master's Program program. Could you talk about linkage programs in SMPs? 
I have had a hard time finding information online. Any recommendations? So I'll talk for a second here because I actually don't recommend bothering about linkage programs because linkage, again, for those of you who don't know, linkage is an agreement between a special master's program or just a regular post-bac program and a medical school. And, and that, that agreement will say something like, hey, for our students, if they graduate our program with a 3.7 GPA and they get a 510 on the MCAT, they are guaranteed an interview at your medical school. Or potentially, they're guaranteed a seat at your medical school. So there are linkage programs that, that many programs have set up at, with different medical schools around the country. And the reason I don't put much weight behind them is, number one, it's, it's kind of forcing you into this stressful situation already that you are going and going, putting all of your eggs in one basket going, okay, they have a linkage program with my dream medical school and I have to get these, this GPA and this MCAT score. And it just puts so much pressure on you when you already have enough pressure on you to do well in the program because I typically, for most students, you wouldn't be doing the program if you didn't need to, meaning you, you struggled in undergrad and now you need to prove your academic capability. Now, obviously, there are students who, who do a, an SMP or a, a post-bac because they didn't take science courses in undergrad and they're changing careers or whatever, but a lot of students have this pressure already. And it's, it's, it's forcing you into one school with this one linkage program when ideally, if you just go and relax and do the best you can, you may set yourself up for success at a lot of different schools and it gives you lots of options versus just forcing you into this one linkage program it kind of mentally. Uh, the linkage for, for most, the linkage program isn't a contract. You're not forced to go to that one program. It's just this kind of uh, automatic potential interview or potential acceptance if you do well. So that's my thought. Scott, what do you think about that? No, I agree with that completely. I, I you know, I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of considerations to make when you're looking at an SMP. I don't think linkage is a, a high on the priority list there. I would say, you know, to find an SMP that is going to fit you, whether it's geographically or the type of program that it is or the, you know, student body or, you know, your connection to, uh, that school or, you know, whatever. There's a lot of other considerations to make. I don't think linkage is uh, really something that you should uh, put high on the priority list. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right. All right. So continuing on, how heavily is the Casper exam weighed in admissions decisions? Here's my answer. It's the shrug emoji. <laughs> That's my answer to that question. I have no clue. Uh, I, you know, boy, to that's put it big... another way, I don't think anyone really knows yet. No, I don't yeah. think so either. The, the only people who know are the programs themselves. Yeah. Uh, because as it is with all admissions, it depends on the program. It depends on the school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what we have heard is that a lot of schools are currently taking the Casper data, not necessarily to use it in admissions decisions, but to review it against performance in med school. 
But yep. even that, you know, I mean, take that with a grain of salt because I don't think it's a free pass. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you should go into the Casper like you go into any exam in terms of being physically prepared and in terms of having read up on the test. And there's not a lot of test prep out there. The test prep that is out there, I frankly question. Mm-hmm. Um, but you should at least have learned enough about the exam to know what to expect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I had one student who uh, told me he scored in the lower lowest twenty, uh, the lowest quarter percent, the percentile or whatever, and um, he was freaking out about that. But then he related to me that he didn't finish the exam. Whoa! He, yeah, he uh, he got. I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but he he had questions left over that he didn't, he didn't even answer. He ran out of time. Yeah. To me, that's someone who just completely overthought the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You you shouldn't be running out of time on Casper. No, no, no. but that that was his experience with it. So, but yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Rachel, let's, let's talk for a second about uh, mapped advising through mapped chat. Uh, One of the newest features of mapped you can share your screen again and, and show map chat. A lot of students who interact with us through these Ask the Deans, and if you can zoom out. Um, oh, yeah. I'm um, through, the through Ask the Deans, or they send us lots of emails uh, through our website. A lot of students don't have access to a pre-health advisor. And through Maps, you can now, uh, with our Maps chat feature, chat with one of us as your advisor. And it is a premium feature on top of Maps. But you'll get Rachel, me, Scott, or, or Verinia, who's not here today, uh, who are all experts in the pre-health world, helping be your advisor. And we've gotten so many messages just in the week that it's been live of like, oh my gosh, I needed this. I don't have anyone to ask questions to. This is the best thing ever. Uh, and so you can see here that this map chat is just a, a fun conversation. We, we've just been going back and forth uh, mm-hmm. here but in, right inside of Maps, in your account, you can chat with us. Uh, it's not it's not live, it's not synchronous, but you give us a, a message, we'll typically get back to you within the day um, and really help you on your journey. And the great thing about this is because of Maps and all of the data that you put into Maps, your courses, your activities, your MCAT scores, uh, or if you're a pre-PA student, your, your GRE scores or your PA CAT scores, Um, we have access to go look at that data. When you ask us questions, we, we have read only access to look at it and go, okay, here's what I see. Here's the information I want to give to you. So if, if you have been struggling in your journey without an advisor, then potentially look at mapped and look at mapped advising through map chat, um, which is a lot more affordable than just a a 45 minute one-on-one session with us. So Give a little plug there. Yep. All right. Mas preguntas. Mas preguntas. More questions, please. Most of my clinical experiences will be from my fourth year, which I had planned to start in my second year. COVID put a lot of my plans on hold. Will just one year of clinical experience be enough to apply? So, Here's my thought on this question. It's, it's nothing to this specific student, but we get this question from lots of students yep. that seem to think that COVID only affected them. 
it's like all of my clinical experiences were gone and I'm the only one affected. And what am I going to do? Because I'm going to be disadvantaged in my application now. Well, (laughs) sorry, buddy. Hate to break it to you. Everyone has been affected. Right. And obviously there there are pockets of people who are lucky enough to have jobs and and a lot of jobs were held stable in clinical environments for people to continue to get clinical experiences. But the the whole world was affected by this. The whole medical community was doubly affected by this because the hospital shut out everyone. Right. If, If your partner was giving birth, sorry, they're going in alone. You can't go in, let alone shadows and scribes a lot of scribes lost their jobs because Uh the hospitals are like the less people the better Uh so the answer is yes it is what it is because that's all you could do because of covid so don't worry about exactly right and go back and listen to inside med admissions yep dr Wright, that you did with the admissions uh, committee members at three different schools yep. talking about how COVID was affecting admissions. And this is yep. one of the, the stipulations of we're going to see students with less experiences and we're going to have to figure out how to evaluate that. Yep. That's exactly yeah, so that's right. InsideMedAdmissions.com. It's also right here on our YouTube channel where you're already watching. So you can, you can check out that session that Scott did with um, some deans of med schools, um, some directors of admissions. Yeah, and the thing I'll add about uh, JY's question is, now I've lost it, so I can't put it back up, but uh, they said, will a year be enough? So they still got some. Thank you, Ryan. Um, I've definitely heard from some people who have said, well, I couldn't find any volunteer experience, so I just don't have any clinical experience. And while, yes, some people were laid off, there are also a lot of jobs that need filled in healthcare right now. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, I can't do clinical because I can't volunteer, uh, that's where paid clinical comes in, right? Clinical does yep. not have to be volunteer. Volunteer positions are still pretty limited because of COVID, but um, you you need to get some clinical experience for lots and lots of reasons, not just for your application, right? It's It's how you confirm your desire of being a physician. It's how you get real patient experience and um, getting none is... It's not an option. Yep. That's right. All right. All right. I'm applying for MD, PhD programs and have tons of research experience, but I have no publications. Will I be less competitive? This, this goes to my statement that I always love to make. Research is the most overrated part of an application. Uh, and specifically mm-hmm. for this, publications, um, right? Obviously for MD, PhD programs, you need to prove that you really like research and that's what you want to do as a career. But I I think hopefully the far majority of people out there, the admissions world out there understands what it takes to publish something. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of the the stars to align that you're getting involved in research at the right time you're studying the right thing the research is going in the right direction based on your hypothesis the the data that you're collecting is appropriate you're able to analyze that data you can write it up as an abstract it gets approved uh by a publication by by a journal and all of that has to happen for research to happen we we had a question i don't know if it was on Astadine or, or somewhere else of like should i put this research on my application because after two years 
we didn't get the results that we needed and we closed up shop. And I said, well, that's what happens with research. That's yeah. what happens probably with the far majority of research. And people understand that, right? Research isn't valuable just because you get a publication out of it. So, no, it will not make you less competitive. I think. Right. Here's a good one. What criteria besides location, size of school, tuition should one look at? I'm having a hard time figuring out what does, quote, finding a good fit for you mean? Good questions. Yeah. So, premidyears.com slash 437, I believe. I'm double checking. Um, I could type. Yes. Uh, slash 437. How to build the ultimate med school list is a great episode that I did with Joanne Snap, uh, former director of the Health Profession, Professions Advising Office at UC Davis. Uh, she's also former director of admissions at a medical school. Um, so I would check that out. Uh, I actually don't put tuition on, on the list to build a school list. I think tuition gets important if you have multiple schools to look at. Um, Tuition's expensive everywhere, unfortunately, yep. unless you're lucky to be in Texas and be an <laughs> in-state applicant in Texas. Uh, but tuition, unfortunately, isn't expensive. And, and the question that, that I, I ask is, if you were going to remove a school from your list because it's ten dollars or $20,000 more expensive per year for its overall budget compared to another school that you do put on your list – but that school is less of a good fit and you don't end up getting in that application cycle. You apply the next cycle and you go ahead and you expand your, your list because, Hey, you're a reapplicant and your, your clock's ticking and you gotta, you gotta get into school. Um, and you add that $20,000 a year more school onto your list. Now you've delayed your potential earnings as a physician by a year over $80,000 in tuition. And I can guarantee you that the far majority of physicians out there are making much more than $80,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's in the, at the end of the day, it's just a math equation. And, and I think that every school should be on the list regardless of their tuition. And then you play the tuition game at the end when you have multiple acceptances to choose from. Agreed. So going back to this specific question, what else should you look at? Uh, location, size of school uh, are two that the student talked about. Curriculum, I think is really important. Something I didn't know a lot about when I applied to medical school. I would have done much better in a systems-based curriculum where you learn anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, histology, pharmacology, all around a specific system like the cardiovascular system or the skeletal system or the nervous system, you learn all of the information around that specific system versus what I did, which is a traditional curriculum of you learn anatomy and physiology, all of it. You learn pharmacology, all of it. You learn, And it's all separate and you have to just learn it all. And for me, the way my brain works, I'm able, I was less able to relate all of the information together because it wasn't a systems-based curriculum. And so a lot of schools have problem-based learning as their kind of main way of, of teaching students. Do you like that environment or are you not going to like that environment? So curriculum, I think, is, is a really good thing to look at. Um, and then 
potentially programs, residency program access. If you're really interested, you know, I want to do this one specific thing in the plastic surgery world. Well, then potentially going out to some rural campus for medical school is going to be less helpful for you to get exposure to plastic surgeons who do that one specific thing that you may be interested in. And, and that exposure is important when it comes to applying to those residencies because you need letters of recommendations from those specific people in those fields. So that's another thing potentially to think about. Yep. All right. That's good stuff there. That was a good question from Nadia. Thank you. All right. Um, Let's see. Here we go. What we got? Does volunteering as a virtual crisis counselor count as clinical experience? <laughs> Go to isitclinical.com. Not, not, <laughs> not yet. We don't have it set up yet. Um, for medical schools uh, or are activities such as scribing more recommended? Right. Pre-COVID, I think most people would say virtual crisis counselor, not clinical. Right. Go get something in person. Right. During COVID, it's just this fuzzy gray area. For a lot of people, it's better than nothing, mm -hmm. right? But I still think the gold standard is in-person doing stuff. Agreed. Yep. yep. All right. We only have a few minutes left. Um, so I'll remind everyone that Ask the Dean is now public every week. So we'll be back. But we've got time for a couple more. Um, a few people have asked about this, so I wanted to put it up. Um. How about unbalanced MCAT scores, like 90th percentile on the sciences, but 20th percentile Ouch. on cars? How do admissions committees view that given a GPA of 393 and many medical experiences? So let's assume, right, 90th percentile on the sciences, I'm assuming that is what, five, 528, 529, Rachel? Is that 90th percentile? No, or, or 90th. 128, 129? Yeah, yeah. Um in in the uh in the the section so overall potentially um like 510 ish 512 ish maybe right in a super unbalanced way mm -hmm. we've said a bunch of times that a lot of this unbalanced stuff kind of goes out the window let's look at your overall score yeah great gpa what, what do you think with this scott yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that uh, a very low car section could be uh, concerning to medical schools, um, but I would say it has to be like super low for that to be even uh, that much of a concern. I would say most medical schools are going to look at the total score uh, along with that GPA. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, if, if a, a good solid total score with that GPA, I don't think you're going to have many many uh, problems yeah so i'm i'm looking at the percentiles that the double amc puts out uh 90th percentile is about a 129 so my mm -hmm. my estimate was right for um chem fizz for cars 20th percentile is about a 121 uh 122 potentially mm -hmm. um so so yeah so it, it depends right rachel when you see students like this who come in who are just crushing the sciences but are are being crushed by cars, that to me is a red flag because the whole MCAT is reading comprehension and critical thinking. Correct. And how can they do it in three of the four sections? Something tells me there's a mental block for that fourth section. Correct. Yeah. 
and again, I put this up because a few different people asked about what if I have one really low section and often that low section is the cars. Um, So it can be a couple things. Sometimes it's English language learners. So it's someone who's speaking, reading English as their second, third, maybe fourth question. Um, Even if you grew up in an English school system, but spoke a different language at home, sometimes that just does hinder some of your higher vocabulary. And then sometimes, like you said, Ryan, I think it's a mindset thing. I've had students say to me, well, I'm not going to work on cars because it can't be improved. I'm like, well, really? Because when I was four, I was reading books with about five words on a page. And by the time I was seven, I was reading full on chapter books. So I think I got better in those three years. Um, So I, I think when I see this, so for people in that second group, it often means they've only ever thought about reading as a means to get information and not as a means to analyze. So, and, and you know, again, and this isn't about this question asker, pre-meds in general are rewarded by improving their science and math skills. And often in the college experience, don't get to spend a lot of time with critical reading, critical thinking, critical writing. And the MCAT is, is testing that in all sections. So I think this person's got some innate talent in that area because they're doing it in sciences, but they've got this idea. I mean, again, I don't know, I'm guessing, but yeah, that something's going on in cars that you think you can't when actually you are using those same skills. Um, Now, a lot of the science reading is science inquiry, which is a little different than just kind of abstract inquiry, but still similar part of your brain. Yeah. what, what I see happen a lot, and, and my, my father-in-law is a neuropsychologist, so I, I've learned this from him, that, that our brain has this working memory, kind of like RAM in a computer. Yeah and, yeah. and when that working memory is full, when your RAM and your computer is full, your computer slows to a, a crawl, right? And then you got to restart it, and it clears that, that RAM. And, and what I find with students like this, potentially, right, and this is just a hypothesis, um, is when students crush the other three sections, but they struggle on cars, a lot of times, as you mentioned, they're, they're English uh, as a second language students, and they have this negative self-talk that I'm a slow reader, I'm a bad reader, I don't understand English, I, I don't do this. And that negative self-talk fills that working memory in your brain and you're not able to process what you need to process for the car section. And for some reason, because you're really confident with that super high GPA, you're really confident in the content of the other sections that that negative self-talk doesn't come into play. Mm. Yep. Mm. That's interesting. Um, I want to, someone asked, and I've just lost it again. So if they want to improve their reading skills, what great books do we recommend? And we've got a whole bunch of recommended books, many that are not scientific, but still about um, the pre-med or the doctor life um, on the map store on Amazon. So there's a whole recommended reading list there if you want to go check it out. Um, There's also an old podcast or post, I think, Ryan, from the med school headquarters um, that covers a lot of this. And that's that's where I got most of that reading list. Yeah, so, and the, the pre-med hangout, one of our, our things in like the FAQ at the beginning is a whole book list as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely work on those reading skills. That's a great question. Yeah. 
to to wrap it up here, Rachel, do you want to talk about how students can get 30 days of free access to MAPT? Absolutely. So anytime you want to join MAPT, you get at least 14 days free. But what we'd like to do for our folks who are watching today is give you a chance to get 30 days free. So if you go to app.mapped.com, so app.mapd.com, uh, we'll ask you when you register for a referral code. And the referral code you're going to use is 30 days free. So three zero days free. And that will give you access to all of the mapped features, um, all of the regular map features, so not including that premium map chat we were talking about before. Not yet. We think we're uh, going to add <laughs> maybe, maybe later. <laughs> yeah. um, for 30 days. So you'll get a whole month. Um, you are going to have to put a little time in. So the first 20 or 30 minutes of using mapped is you doing some data entry. Once you start telling us about your courses and your activities, you're going to start to see all those pretty charts we were showing before. And I'm showing again right now. Um, so you'll start to get some data tracking. And um, once you start to get a lot of stuff in there, I don't think we showed this feedback tab before, but once you start to put in a lot of information, we're going to start running some rubrics against your data. You'll get some announcements from us periodically and you'll get alerts like, Hey, we see you've got 50 hours of clinical. What do you do now? So there's, you're going to get some, customized feedback that has been it's it's been written by the mapped advising team so you'll have a chance to track all your data and hear from us and hear what we think about the progress you're making show the show the feedback for the c minus because a lot of students don't understand a c minus for prereqs is not passing and if yeah. you're going to put that into mapped we have that ability right there schedule your retake for your prereq uh, it says there, our records show that you got a C minus or lower in a course that is a prereq for medical school. A lot of students don't know until the last minute, like, oh, oh crap, I need to go retake that class. Is that going to set me back? Do I need to wait another year to apply? But but because we have that knowledge of what you're putting into MAPT, we can give you feedback. And there's just one very specific example. So mm -hmm. we, we can see trends. We can calculate your first 20 hours, your first 40 hours compared mm -hmm. to your, your last 40 hours and give you feedback on what's going on with trends. Uh, this is the kind of the heart and soul of map. So Absolutely. go check it out 30 days for free. All right. Well, awesome. I'm excited for ask the Dean every week uh, yep. live to, to the world, uh, both on Instagram live. Hello everyone on Instagram, as well as on our, our YouTube channels. So we, First, first time here, we were doing it the first Monday of every month, but now again, every Wednesday, 1 PM Eastern, Lots of great questions. Love the diversity of, of people here today. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you Take next week. Take care, Wednesday. everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it, for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.